joined by Sandra Kelly, who's the UK Director for People First International, and Michael Wood, who is the NHS Confederation's Head of Health Economic Partnerships. Thank you both very much for joining me here today for our discussion on transferable skills and the redeployment of these skills into the healthcare sector during COVID, a really important topic. Thank you, Nicola. It's great to be here. And as you say, really important timing, I think, for this discussion. Hi, Nicola. Lovely to be here again with you. Thank you for the opportunity. Great. So just to set the scene for our listeners, Sandra, you're an expert in the field of skills training and development with a focus on an employer-led approach to skills. Currently, you're actively involved with a number of deployment projects from hospitality, non-food retail, travel and aviation into new roles in areas such as health, social care, logistics, retail and funeral care. Michael, your remit at the NHS Confederation is helping the health sector to engage with local economic leaders, as well as building partnerships to drive lasting improvements in public services for local communities. Naturally, we're in the throes of COVID still, and so aligning the NHS with the local economies absolutely critical and using redeployment to do this and to help with jobs. Sandra, can I start by asking you to share a little bit about People First International's redeployment service and tell us more generally what you've been seeing in terms of the benefits of redeployment across sectors at this time. So the impact of COVID-19 and lockdown have seen many industries significantly affected. At People First International, we work closely with employers in hospitality, retail, travel and aviation. Employers such as EasyJet, Menzies, Mitchells and Butler, John Lewis, Sainsbury's, Tesco, Hayes Travels and many, many more. And these sectors have been devastated, you know, in terms of their revenue, their resources, you know, they've been in restructuring and made significant redundancies and and are actually looking at redeployment. And it's here that we're able to help because the people in these industries are work ready. They've got great life skills and amazing transferable skills and attributes are really, really valuable. And they're being valued now by sectors who aren't in the same state of devastation, sectors that are seeing growth. And that could be in food retail or logistics, warehousing or health and social care. And we're connected to these sectors. So for us to be able to support people and redeploy them, it's something that we we understand and it's certainly something that we can do right now to help. Yes, that's very important, the value that these people can add. Would you mind going into a bit more detail about the sorts of skills that people from these sectors have that they can bring to other sectors? What's really important about these individuals is very often they might well have worked in their sector for a number of years, but without any qualifications or anything that's nationally recognised to kind of endorse their competences. And right now, some of those individuals are themselves in survival or in different stages of recovery just from their own personal experiences. So what we're doing is we're helping to bring out some of their attributes that are really critical and things 
like being resilient and having great agility and having huge cultural intelligence, which is what these guys have, you know, that capability to relate and work effectively across cultures and that emotional intelligence to apply that into their decision making or, you know, into the impact that they know that they're going to have in terms of the connecting with people. These people can convey information very effectively, verbally and written. It's often very accurate, it's definitely concise, and it's structured with a clear purpose. And the purpose might be to inspire confidence or create trust or complete an action. But some of these skills and values are so deeply hidden and entrenched within them that it takes an organization like us at People First to help to bring them to the surface because they're really critical skills that other sectors highly value. Thank you. Yes, so many really good transferable skills, really talented people and a lot of them. Can you tell us a little bit specifically about the NHS and how you're helping to make it easier for NHS organisations to identify people with the right transferable skills for them. So our heritage has been as a sector skills council. So, you know, we're a specialist expert in the skills from our areas, hospitality, retail, travel and aviation. And that's from an employer led perspective. So our core function has been to address occupational skills, knowledge and behaviours to build from entry level standards with progression. So we really understand the transferable skills of our sector. And if an individual has been made redundant, they might not have the capability to present themselves in a way that would be immediately relevant to the NHS or to any of the other health and social care organisations that we're working with. So it's important for us to help them to think about what a values-based selection and interview process is and then to equip with them with the capabilities to be able to prioritize these skills. It's almost a little bit like changing the mindset of the hiring manager to be much more open to individuals who can bring a wealth of value and skill into their industries whilst they may not directly have worked there before. I think from an employer's perspective, just building on what Sandra said, Nicola, there's something about, you know, we see the change in the labour markets that, you know, has been how rapid and significant it's been. Sometimes it's difficult for an employer, particularly an individual employer, to understand and navigate what's happening. You know, we, we might see this in, in the weight of applications for individual roles, but actually I think there's something for us in the NHS about being on the front foot and trying to understand proactively where the impact is about to be felt. You know, the NHS, of course, benefits not it benefits from people in employment. Being in employment improves people's health. It's a it's a well linked, uh, you know, the research links that very strongly. So there's something for us in the NHS about using uh, redeployment schemes and working with other uh, representative bodies who understand other sectors and understand the impacts just to help us be more focused in our recruitment and to understand how we can uh, best support that wider place based recovery. Oh, thank you for that additional insight. Sandra, I made a note, you said second to none skills. There seems to be a message that's coming through uh, at every turn. Uh, Michael, this would no doubt offer an enormous opportunity for the NHS, both in the short and longer term. 
Are you planning to use redeployment to assist in the delivery, for example, of the NHS People Plan? So the NHS People Plan, if we can boil it down to three things it spoke about when it was published a few months ago, Nicola, it spoke about engaging and employing more people, working in new and different ways and creating that culture of compassion. I, I think bringing in the experiences from those already outside of our service actually are a, a core part of addressing all three of those uh, priority areas. Now, this will be a local priority. You know, in the recession, I speak to many NHS leaders and the first thing they say is we want to employ local people. We want to support them into our service. We have vacancies, but we want to dig beyond our, just our, the vacancies that we have out there on NHS jobs and understand how we can uh, best, uh, best work and target as a, as a recruiter. Sometimes it's not perhaps the case that our strategic workforce plans have quite understood you know, how schemes like redeployment or jobs brokerage might work and support what we need to do. But I really do think the will is there and, and, and the changing external context is so quick and rapid that I think we're starting to see some good practice examples. Some of the conversations Sandra mentioned that are happening now between leaders in the NHS and people uh, from those different sectors, I think are a really important part of this. The strategic uh, relationships I guess will come in time. And I think the redeployment scheme is, you know, is coming at a core point when, when we're really concerned about unemployment. Actually, I think this will you know, embed a more longer term relationship uh, between, for example, the NHS and other industries locally about how we work and support each other and understand the skills mixes that overlap between the two going forward. But the people plan, Nicola, is at the forefront of people's minds and absolutely the experiences from those outside our sector are integral to, to living the values of that. Yes, absolutely. And let's talk a bit about skills mixes. From a practical perspective, can you tell us how a local NHS organisation can communicate its skills needs and match those people with potentially uh, the right qualifications who are coming in from outside of the sector? I think this is a really important point. And there's something about the behaviours and the traditional ways of working in the NHS, which I think we'll see changing to address this point, Nicola. So uh, the first thing I would say is, of course, you know, traditionally our vacancies will be found on NHS jobs, but actually I think what we're doing through this redeployment scheme, for example, is going beyond that. So we're actually talking with some of the HR directors at a hospital level, for example, not so much about the stated vacancies that hospital trust has, but some of the needs that they see uh, the service having in the, in the coming year and actually understanding how we might look at different ways of filling those needs. So I think this is moving from a transactional relationship into one on which actually NHS leaders are starting to have the conversations with people like people first, you know, who might have, you know, might enable us to get beyond simply an institutional need and look at perhaps a place need. This also comes from NHS hospitals locally having much better relationships with local government, for example, or with local employers, understanding the impacts of, say, uh, having an airport nearby on, on their service and how they, how they provide their services. So I think there's something about moving from that simple transactional view of these are our vacancies to actually understanding what are our skills needs. And what we will see 
in that area, particularly in, 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 in the depths of this recession, is moving beyond perhaps just our clinical roles. So there's something incredibly important about the NHS understanding it has uh, a range of skill needs which aren't clinical that need addressing you know, in, immediately. These might be in admin positions, these might be corporate. Uh, we have a range of apprenticeships which may lead to clinical careers, but for which we do not need clinical training uh, in the outset. We have primary care. Uh, which you know, which has a range of uh, of roles, which actually are uh, you know people based rather than clinically based, and we also understand and want to participate in some of the government's employment uh, employment support schemes. So I think there's a much greater interest now, and I would hope that being able to have that conversation with the NHS about skills, not so much simply about the vacancies, is one where we are moving to. It's interesting you say that because. It's a journey, by the sounds of it. You start off with the, the jobs, that's sort of stage one, but then we evolve. It's really about the skills and we refine and understand that and fine-tune it. And then, of course, there is the successful transition and integration of these individuals into the NHS. Am I right in thinking that that may not necessarily be plain sailing for a cultural perspective? Or indeed, if that's not an issue, what are you doing more generally to assist people to make this transition during what's a very difficult and stressful time for, for everybody? Mm. What I would say, Nicholas, the NHS is a huge employer. We know that. And it has a range of progressive, rewarding, exciting careers. But it can be incredibly complex. And that's certainly the case when viewed from outside. But also for new recruits, it can be daunting, I think, trying to understand the chains of command and, and, and how we work as a service. There's something for me about the breadth of roles that we have that are not always well known or widely communicated, you know, over 350 different roles within the NHS. Nor does something for me about how we communicate that actually it's a career that we offer in, in healthing and, and care as opposed to simply a job. I would say skills and values have always been important. They will always remain important. You know, the NHS has always had a special place in people's hearts, hasn't it? But we've seen in the last few months, I think, a greater level of intimacy between the service and the public. It's our values that matter, and it's the people's values coming into work in, 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 in our sector, I think, that matter. What I would say about how the NHS is adapting, given these, you know, unprecedented times in relation to our labour market is we're conscious sometimes we can be quite rigid when employing so you know we are trying to support people to navigate some of our quite lengthy processes talking to organizations like people first actually about how we might understand culturally where people are coming from which can help us in terms of being more culturally open to employing them looking at a range of local partnerships about how we might bring people in in different ways and support them, as well as supporting our existing staff. So I absolutely understand, Nicola, that we can be a complicated and, and because of that, there can be an element of rigidity in how we work. But the skills and values of the staff that, you know, and you've seen those in the past six months, it's the skills and values we want in the NHS. And we are committing to be more responsive to try and support people in these in these difficult times. Thank you. Yes. And of course, skills for the future as well. 
Sandra, your sister organisation Skills for Health undertook research in August on the impact of COVID and this highlighted that almost a quarter reported skilled losses as a result in their organisations. At the same time, nearly three quarters said that training needs have increased in this period from everything from PPE usage to new ways of working and digital skills. So we've got a very complex situation. Can I ask you, what do you think are the critical future skills required in healthcare now and how can these be met? So I think what's really important here is around the focus on continuous learning. And I think that that is more important than ever. COVID-19 and the lockdown has been a massive shock and it's been a massive eye opener. You know, the level of disruption and the change of people's priorities and the whole capability to adapt and change, be resilient mentally and physically. These skills have really risen to the forefront of being highly valuable now as we move forward. And there has been some vulnerabilities, you know, with individuals who've been made redundant, you know, they need to be ready to bounce back, confident that they can look at different industries and have a strong sense of, you know, self-belief that they're good enough and self-esteem that they're worthy enough. And sometimes if these individuals have training that's out of date or CVs that aren't really bringing them to life, or they might have a lack of formal qualifications, you know, there might be some barriers here that are holding these individuals back. And we, what we want is we want these people to be better prepared. And they will be better prepared because employers have also got a role to play here because the job market has absolutely changed beyond recognition. And the things that people are looking for now when they're looking for a new job has also changed. In April, Total Jobs interviewed just over 5,000 people. And the top two things that came out of that survey were 51% of people who were looking for work said that they wanted to learn new skills and challenges. And 37% of them said that they were looking definitely now for more training and development in the future. So employers in a way have got to change their mindset about how they invest in their greatest assets and that's their people. I, I would agree strongly with Sandra. I think we've seen, first of all, a, a real interest in caring professions and caring roles recently and that's you know that's inherent I suppose in the pandemic and, and what it's led to and how we felt as citizens. I think what's interesting for me is how the health and care sector, which you know has not always been um, integrated quite as much as we might like in terms of the the, the roles we support and, and the services we provide, I think you'll see far more integration between health and care going forward, Nicola. And I think that will feed into development of different roles and therefore the development of different skills. And I think there's something really interesting and exciting in that area and, and where it gets to, you know, and how we bring out, you know, some of those, uh, again, some of that interest in, in, in caring and how, how we weave it into how the provision of services evolves going forward. Really important point about digital, uh, which Sandra mentioned, you know, we, we use services in different ways because of the impact of technology in the last few months. That means that actually that will affect how services are provided and the workforces which provide those services. In terms of skills development within the NHS, of clearly COVID has, has got in the way 
of that. You know, it's been very difficult to provide work experience, for example, or to, you know, maintain up to date training and, and skills development as a service. And, and that will have to come back into what we do as an employer. We've seen junior doctors in what, in six to eight months in some instances, seeing more than consultants throughout a career in terms of their experiences. So I think it's incredibly important that staff actually have the time to reflect on that going forward and that you know, skills is, is a core part of what we do. What I would say about partnerships, and, and perhaps this feeds into the point actually about how we also can support uh, you know, staff to come and work in our sector, but how we can support our existing staff in our sector is that what COVID has done is, is, is locally it's led to people just getting on with the job and working in new ways with new partnerships without you know some of the hierarchies and some of the traditions which have stopped that. I would hope actually that that is now an intrinsic part of how we want to develop as teams uh, and that will lead to future skills development and that will lead to a much more integrated uh, way of providing services and, and, and enjoying what we do. So I do think it's a really important issue. And, and, you know, and I think we are, you know, we will see longstanding change from this. And how do you see this playing out? I think what's interesting for me reflecting on this is, is perhaps how we as, as employers in the health sector, particularly large employers, revisit and engage in the wider skills agenda. You know, sometimes I suppose it's quite easy to see yourself as, a, as an employer without actually being completely engaged in the terms of the skill sets and developing and, and looking at actually shared skills between sectors and, sh- and new partnerships that this is leading to. And I think what we will see is a focus on local partnerships across sectors and some of the, some of the joint skills that can support that and also can support people to understand and move between services. Because as Sandra said, you know, that challenge in changing careers at whatever stage of your career path must be incredibly daunting. From an employer's perspective, we'd like to think that we can support that, but we'd like to think that actually what's happening to us and the impact will change how we see what you know our role in supporting and leading that wider skills development path. Incredible, really, that we have been able to go so deep on this topic, it just illustrates how critical it, it is at this time. Obviously, this is a, a changing situation. Much is happening very fast. So it will be interesting to see down the road, I don't know, two, three, four months even, where things are standing and just how successful these redeployments are being. So uh, do keep in touch as, as that un- unwraps. I'd be very interested to hear. But for now, uh, thank you very much, Sandra. Thank you, Michael, for joining us here today. 